Our scripture reading for today is Romans 10, 5 to 15. Are y'all ready? Okay. Moses writes concerning the righteousness that comes from the law that the person who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that comes from faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The world is near you. On your lips and in your heart is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess your lips that Jesus is Lord because you live in his heart and that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Kind of like a zombie. For one believes yeah. with the heart and so is justified, and one, and one yeah. who confesses with the mouth and so is saved. Yeah. Got the scripture says, no one who believes in him will be put to shame, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all and is generous to all who call on him. For everyone, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But how are they to call on one in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in one of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone to proclaim him? And how are they to proclaim him unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. These, these are our sacred stories. Please. Okay, y'all can and please forgive my brother. If you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I walked the aisle and got saved when I was six. I rededicated my life to Christ several times at various youth camps. I even got sanctified once. It was at a Nazarene youth camp. I was there with my best friend whose father is a Nazarene minister. I did not quite know what sanctification was supposed to do, but it sounded pretty good. Talk of turning away from a life of sin, talk of grace and forgiveness and living an abundant life. So I went forward and I prayed a prayer. Now that I think about it, all of this should probably be added to my covenant bio. <laughs> Laura Mayo is a graduate of Wake Forest University Divinity School. She was saved and baptized at six, sanctified at 15, and rededicated a multiplicity of times. <laughs> The notion of salvation has been important as long as the story of God has been lived and told. The Judeo-Christian scriptures contain many metaphors for salvation, very few of which connect salvation to an afterlife. The dominant image of salvation in the Bible is of liberation here and now. The freeing of the Hebrew people from bondage in Egypt is the primary narrative of salvation in the First Testament. 
Throughout the Second Testament, there are certainly references to heaven and to hell, but the message that comes again and again is that there's possibilities for new life now, that the realm of God is now, that change and growth and abundant life begin now. For example, eternal life in the Gospel of John means life in the age to come. We've translated it as eternal life, but the language in Greek is life in the age to come, and it's in the present tense. It's a possible present reality that projects into the future. You'll remember that I mentioned just last week that when Jesus is asked by the religious leaders when the kingdom of God is coming, he says, the kingdom of God is not coming with things that can be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there it is. The kingdom of God is among you now. And yet, in 2023, when we hear the word salvation, we, and almost everyone else, thinks of what happens after we die. When salvation is equated primarily or exclusively with what happens after we die, Christianity is quickly reduced to a religion of requirements, whereby something one believes or does determines who gets into heaven. This inevitably leaves some out of heaven. The in-group is saved, and the out-group is damned, and thus the focus of faith is shifted to who is in and who is out, and what happens after we die. This shift leaves the current life woefully lacking the transformation it so desperately needs, and it leaves people lacking the connection and belonging we all need and deserve. Salvation, that English word, comes from a Latin word that means wholeness or healing. The salvation stories in the Bible are stories of liberation for captives, return from exile, healing, food and drink for the thirsty and the hungry. They're stories of life, this life, more abundant. The salvation stories in our Bible are social. They're communal, shared possibilities. Salvation is about our life together in community, city, nation, world, a life of peace and justice. The kingdom of God is social salvation. That is in stark contrast to the life of the empire, a life under the empire. But salvation has been trivialized. It has become about individuals going to heaven. What happens when we die? I don't know. I haven't died. If there is life after death, is it reincarnation or instant heaven or hell or purgatory or being dead until Jesus comes again? Does our personal self-awareness survive after our bodies die? Will we in fact be reunited with our loved ones as many religious folks have promised? 
I'm so grateful that you don't expect me to have the answers to these questions. Because I don't know. And here's what I believe. I believe that God is love and that we're part of that love and that we will always, always be part of that love. And no, I don't have any idea how we're part of that love after we die, but I believe that we are and I feel it and I experience it. Being part of the love of God always means we don't die into nothingness. We die into love. And love never dies. Love never dies. And being part of the love of God doesn't wait on our deaths. Thank God. We are part of the love now. Part of the realm of God now. Our salvation is already happening. It is upon us. Throughout our sacred stories, we're being asked again and again to care now, to love now, to help stop injustice now. Whatever happens after I die, the hell we're living now where children are shot in their schools, where people must choose between their medicine and eating, where racism and bigotry plague our communities, where some schools are not gonna have recess or libraries, where our climate crisis is ignored, this hell needs salvation. And I'm convinced that God is begging us to be part of the saving. Paul writes, as you heard, to the church in Rome. But the righteousness that comes from faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is, to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, on your lips and in your heart. That is, the word of faith that we proclaim. The word is near you. The word is here and now, not in heaven, not in the abyss, now. At least that's what I think Paul is trying to say. As I mentioned in the Time for Children, Paul is using very, very prescribed argumentation. It's, it's not a way we talk anymore. And sometimes I get a little lost in his words, and then I'm also mad at him in an ongoing way for those comments about women, and I have trouble getting over that. <laughs> But if we keep reading, there's a point here I really think I like. Paul continues, But if you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For one believes with the heart and is justified, and one confesses with the mouth and so is saved. The scripture says, No one who believes in him will be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord over all and is generous to all who call on him. For everyone who calls in the name of the Lord shall be saved. I don't know about in your Bibles, but in my Bible, this section has a heading, which I find very helpful. The heading is, Salvation is for all. Thank you. Thank you, Bible. In these verses, Paul uses the Greek word, pas, which means everyone, 
three times. Three verses, three times for the word pas, everyone. The scripture says, everyone, pas, who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord over all, everyone. And then in verse 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Who is salvation for? Everyone. Salvation is available to all. God has made salvation near to all, starting now. The realm of God, here and now. Present even as it is always arriving. Paul boldly states, that God and salvation see no distinction between Jew and Greek. I say boldly because at the time, this idea would have been radical. This kind of inclusion is how Paul gets his nickname of apostle to the Gentiles. You see, when Paul was writing his letters, there was very much a distinction between Jew and Greek, between Jew and Gentile. Jesus was a Jew. The first followers of Jesus were Jews. You know this already, and the entire book of Acts is the story of what to do about us, the Gentiles. Did we need to be Jewish first before following Jesus? Did we need to keep food laws? Did we need to be circumcised? The early church was in turmoil over the distinction between Jew and Greek. We know how it turned out. You'll remember that in one meeting, Peter stood up and said, in effect, I know what the Bible says about circumcision and food laws, and what I'm telling you is I've seen the indisputable evidence of the work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of the Gentiles. God has made no distinction between them and us. And Paul, our sometimes friend in Galatians, says... The only thing that counts in faith is expressing faith through love. It's Galatians 5, 6. Love and salvation and freedom, welcome and belonging, liberation from oppression, salvation for all and every starting now, not just some future possibility, salvation now. Our passage this morning concludes... But how are they to call on the one in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in the one in whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone to proclaim him? And how are they to proclaim him unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are their feet of those who bring good news. Salvation, abundant life, freedom, liberation, here and now, how beautiful are the feet and hands and faces of those who bring good news. Good news to the captives. Good news to the oppressed. Good news to the downtrodden. Don't we know their beauty? We've experienced it through our exemplars of faith and thoughtfulness, of justice and peace, our very own cloud of witnesses, who in the here and now in real time brought good news to us, to our community, to our world. The very ones we continue to feel through the power of love. And so now it is our turn. 
What liberating good news do we need right here and right now from ourselves and each other? What word of peace and compassion? What avenue of freedom, release from guilt or shame, setting down of grudges and resentments? How are we participating in the liberation of ourselves and each other and our world? Psalm 74:12 says, For God is my king of old, working salvation in the midst of the earth. For God is my king of old, working salvation in the midst of the earth. This working of salvation in the midst of the earth is our work too. Work we do together. Work that sometimes requires us to stop and rest and breathe deep the good news of love here and now available to all. And work that sometimes requires us to stop stopping and get up and be actively involved in the work of liberation. For God is my king of old, working salvation in the midst of the earth and inviting all of us into that work together. Amen.